listening to Phenomenology Club Radio. Hello and thank you for listening to this audio podcast. I am Buttress, the host of Phenomenology Club, which is an interactive online community of artists and thinkers centered around this content that I create and curate online for us to talk about which is why both our tagline for Phenomenology Club and the subtitle for this discussion series is Talk About It. Most of these uploads are originally streamed live on our YouTube page. If you're interested in interacting with those as they happen live, please go subscribe and turn on the notifications at youtube.com slash phenomenologyclub. And in general, to learn more about our club, what we do, and how you can become a member for only $1 a month, please visit our website at www.phenomenology.club. Thank you for listening. Stay trippy. Hello. It's me. I suck my own dick before I have to pee. (laughs) Hello. It's me. I suck my own dick before I have to pee. I'm coming here to you with a phenomenology club. Talk about it first. A first. You are all witness to this first. Oh, I'm clipping. Let me break it down a little. This is the first episode that I have ever done standing. Now, of course, I cannot predict whether or not I will remain standing the whole time, but... As of right now, I am telling you the truth. I am standing. Hello, Ramona. Friend, friend and club member Ramona, thank you for being here with me on this beautiful Saturday evening. I don't know where you people reside, but I reside in New York State. And today in New York State, uh, it is very warm and it is wet. It is not quite raining, but it is almost raining. I believe it's going to be raining tomorrow. Oh, hold on. Got to adjust the mic because I'm standing. I'm already tired of standing. I hate this. Standing sucks. Fuck standing. Just kidding. Standing's great. I'm standing because my body is just feeling like rigid. I'm like so in my body right now. I mean, isn't that like the key component? I don't know about for you people, but for myself, so much of what I describe as my experience of anxiety is rooted in my body. I mean, I'm I'm human, so of course I get anxious about dumb shit too, like everybody else, you know. What am I doing? Where am I going? But my my most intense moments of anxiety emerge out of feelings of uncomfortability and rigidness within my own body and whenever I I think today it's probably the result of drinking too much coffee and doing too much fucking Adderall what else is new the phenomenology of standing says Ramona (laughs) yes yes that let's save that for another day oh someone give me a like already thank you so much for that like I'm very gracious Anyway, it's Saturday evening, um, the Saturday evening before we finally resume our speed reading series in Phenomenology Club. Sorry, I'm like literally playing the levels as I do this. I'm wearing headphones, by the way, but I'm not monitoring myself. I just like the way they're squeezing my head. Apparently, a lot of people relate to this feeling of like liking weight on them in different areas. 
you know, because weighted blankets are a thing. I've been seeing a lot of tweets about weighted blankets. I guess they're going viral. I'm someone, too, who whenever I trip balls, which is often enough, I need something on my head. Do any of you relate to this? Whenever I'm tripping face, I need to, like, find a shirt or a towel or something that I can wrap around my head in all different types of configurations, you know, whether it's, like, some sort of, like, turban thing, some sort of, like, shawl. It doesn't matter as long as there's a thing on my fucking head. You understand me? You guys relate to this? <laughs> Woo! I'm tired of standing already, but you know what? I'm going to stick with it right now. Anyway, I hate feeling rigid in my body. So to try to get out of it a little bit, I just listened to one of my favorite songs, Trailer Full of Girls by Shaba Ranks. And I have a theory that's very underdeveloped that Shaba Ranks has OCD, much like myself. And that song satisfies the same things that satisfy what I presume to be our shared obsessive compulsive disorder. And I'm working on this theory. <laughs> I am literally trying to learn some music theory so that I can actually map this out and prove to you all that Shaba Ranks has OCD just like myself. <laughs> I think a lot of dancehall and part of why I'm so drawn to the genre because it's no secret to those of you who know me that I pretty much only listen to dancehall and free jazz and noise music occasionally. I think that there's something about the structure of dancehall that satisfies my bullshit. And I, I will get this paper to you eventually. Just give me time. Give me time. But anyway, tonight... uh. Today, tomorrow we'll be resuming our speed reading series and that's part of why I'm here with this upload I wanted to try to recruit any last minute outsiders who don't know who aren't in our club to please come into our club for only one dollar via the link on the patreon and join us because tomorrow night we're having a group discussion in our discord which means you can speak back uh, through your phone, most of us do it through the phone, by the way. You don't have to have some nice, snazzy fucking microphone or some bullshit. Come speak to us on your phone about this Hegel reading. It originally was 30 pages. I just shortened it to 20 because after doing the reading, I realized, first of all, we probably should have only read 10 pages because the introduction alone is just pwa pwa. Goddamn. But... We read parts one and two of section A titled Consciousness from Hegel's Phenomenology of Spirit. And there's no way we're going to talk about all of it. I mean, and part two is especially cumbersome. So get the fuck in here. I also did an audio reading of it that you can listen to on YouTube uh, instead of reading for those of you who are lazy or don't have access to reading stuff. But the PDF is online. Um, so... So, so, so I've begun reading this text, The Phenomenology of Spirit. Have any of you read it? Jade says, oh my God, I'm so down. Where can I read it? You can read it by signing up on the Patreon in, in the link. Uh, there's a link in the description. It's only $1 and then you get a link to the PDF and our Discord server. Get the fuck in here. And if you're really broke, if you don't have a dollar, don't have a credit card, whatever, I shouldn't even say this because every time I do, a bunch of random people that I feel like are lying to me are like, I don't have a dollar, you liars. But if you don't, just just message me wherever you would usually message me. 
Hopefully I'll see it on time and I'll let your your ass in. I don't give a fuck. It's just a dollar. Who cares? Money is stupid. I hate money. The one thing I hate more than money is standing right now. My legs are tired. I'm over it. But I'm not going to stop because I decided I'm not going to. Ugh. Anyway, so I've begun reading this text, The Phenomenology of Spirit, and I am ashamed that it's taken me this long to begin reading it. I mean, just reading the introduction and section, part one of section A, Consciousness, I was like, holy shit, dude, this is my shit, bruh. This is what I'm about, bruh. Literally, all of it, all of it, so relatable. Not only on a personal level, but with, with what I'm doing up in here, in this club. All of my talkings about stuff and the the things that we read, I felt were especially relevant when thinking about art. The thing I'm always thinking about, art. I said in the in the last upload that I've been having a hard time focusing on stuff. This Hegel reading has brought me back. I'm back in business, baby. Let's go. Let's go. Let's get deep. Let's get fucked up about art. So. This text, I mean, I'm sure many of you have read it. Like I've said many times before, Phenomenology Club does not exist to be some sort of like overly academic lecture series. That's what college is for and that's what college lectures on YouTube are for. Phenomenology Club exists to bring everyday people that have absolutely no exposure to philosophy into philosophy because I believe very much that philosophy is essential to everything we need philosophy and so if we need philosophy we need to stop gatekeeping that shit and let people realize that anybody can do philosophy all of you all of us hello from okay oh hey bella bella are you the bella that got the art because I still have to email you that. This reminds me. I'm so sorry. I'm going to do that. I literally have the tab up that I'm going to email it to you. If this is the same Bella, I made Bella a custom art piece, which I sent to her and she says she likes. But I'm going to email her the original. Anyway, let me let me try to stay focused. It's so hard to think when I'm standing. This is such a strange ex phenomena. <laughs> oh, my God. Crazy. Um, so yeah, please come to the Hegel reading tomorrow. But this text, for those of you who have read it, I mean, I'm so, I'm so overwhelmed in a good way. It was a beautiful text, what I read today. And I need to reread it because for those of you who have read it, you know that Hegel is essentially doing quantum physics with logic. I said <laughs> while we were reading it together on the live reading upload, um, that, that if Kant is like... <laughs> algebra or Kant is regular physics Hegel is fucking quantum physics I mean literally all of Hegel's philosophy uh as far as I know from the first 30 pages of phenomenology of spirit I mean I have read Hegel before okay okay but not this text um it's just essentially about the the incredible multiplicity of literally all concepts I mean and he's basically I'm shocked there wasn't a fucking chart in the thing I know Hegel had to have made his own charts and I'm going to be googling and looking for them but it's just like it's just incredible like and trying to visualize while you're reading it is just it's just so so 
so difficult. And just to give you an idea, I'm going to start this discussion by giving you a little live reading, a little excerpt from this text. And because this is the part that I read during this reading that I was like, holy shit, that is so applicable when thinking about art. If you feel like you have no idea what the fuck is going on as I'm reading this, get the fuck over it, okay? I'll tell you about it. You ready? <laughs> so this is from, I believe, part two, the part that I have since omitted from my reading for tomorrow. Part two of section A, consciousness. You ready for this? You ready to get fucked up? So Hegel is discussing here... Um, Essentially, this hierarchy of distinguishing between, I would say, tiers of thought. <laughs> I mean, it's hard to articulate to those who haven't read it, but this text is all about distinguishing differences between things like concepts and what they emerge from, and also how all concepts are implicitly defined not only by themselves, but also the negation of themselves. And this is Hegel's dialectic for you Marxists out there. I'm sure you're familiar a little bit. That as soon as anything really emerges, I mean, it, 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 as soon as anything emerges, a thought, instantly, so does the thing that is not the thought, right? Because objects and thoughts, concepts are only distinct. They're only set apart from other objects, right? And he goes into this like amazing thing that I'll probably sound crazy trying to give it to you right now. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to articulate. I just took it all in, okay? This is shameless, shameless. Um, but basically this idea that like, okay, you look at Descartes' philosophy. Descartes is the famous maker of the statement, I think, therefore, I am, right? And from this idea emerges a feeling, an essence of this statement, as if the only thing you know as an individual is that you exist, right? And in your mind, you sort of separate yourself from everything else that exists, right? And you think, like, I am my own agent. All I can know is that I exist and I am doing something, trying to know something, right? But Hegel illustrates for us so beautifully and... <laughs> gratuitously in this text that you should not feel as if you are some sort of isolated entity in this process of being cognizant of your external surroundings as if all you can know is that you exist all you can know is that there is an I because it's also true that the only reason you feel as if there is an I is because not only have you identified an I, yourself, this perceiving being, but also because you only come to feel as if there is an I because there are other things that aren't you. You're perceiving things that are not yourself. And if it weren't for this reality, if you didn't feel distinctly separate from all that surrounds you, then there would be no motherfucking I. So to conceptualize this entire process 
of yourself as potentially, you know, someone that exists in a matrix or a simulation or all of perception may be lying to you. It may be false, you know, and you're you're all here by yourself in your little fucking perception cage. That is not really an entirely rational way to conceptualize what's happening because you only feel this distinct you-ness because it's true that there are other things in your perceptual phenomena. And this concept is, is, this dialectic is the root of pretty much everything Hegel describes in this passage we read in the first 30 pages of Phenomenology of Spirit. That the same is true for any concept. A concept like art, right? What is art? Art is itself... But the foundation of this definition, the fact that art exists as a thing, is also founded on the negation of everything that is not art. Art only exists because things that are not art also exist. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? And so if we want to go about creating a philosophy that is truly comprehensive, truly rational, then we have to get our fucking thinking caps and our chart making fucking pens out the closet and figure out (laughs) how we are going to integrate these kinds of ideas into a philosophy because it is so true and this is why I say that Hegel is basically doing quantum fucking physics every idea that exists for every idea that exists there are just infinite 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 ideas that don't exist he talks so much about this idea of how truth or what appears as true is so immediate. We are always in this feeling of nowness, right? But what is now? What is the now? Is it right now? Or now? I am always in this feeling, this experience of immediacy, but I can't really ever describe it in the moment because as soon as I try to describe any moment right now it's gone already what about now can I catch it maybe if you go fast enough you can fucking catch it no 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 we're always in this fucking now but as soon as you write write it down give it meaning do it whatever it's gone I'm looking at a poster board right now there is a poster board as soon as I turn around There is no more poster board. But even this statement is contingent on the fact just a moment ago I was looking at the fucking poster board. Why is there no poster board here? Because there was a poster board right here. Now there is the poster board again because I turned around again because I'm standing. Are you with me? (laughs) I am so excited. I'm so fucking hype. Anyway, love it. So let's think about art, okay? Because, like I said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to make you all listen to this Hegel discussion. That's what tomorrow night is about. So come in here and get trippy with us. But I do plan on rereading this text and making some fucking charts. And that will include art charts. So I'm going to say that this is the introduction to my ideas. I want to revisit this. Because thinking about this as I was reading it really started to make me think and challenge my own ideas about art. A thing that I often put forward as being about itself 
and I'll tell you about that in a minute. Let me read this excerpt for you, okay? You ready? You ready? I hope I've given you a bit of a preface. And now you, uh, you're ready. You're ready for this shit. You're ready to get fucked up. So, this is page 75 of the, of the printed text in the PDF that I've linked on the website, by the way, if anybody wants to revisit it later. Top paragraph. The thing is one. One is capitalized, by the way. Let me just start that over, okay? This is important. The thing is one, reflected into itself. It is for itself, but it is also for an other. Namely, it is an other for itself as it is for another. The thing thereby is for itself and also for another. A doubly diverse being, but it is also one. However, its oneness contradicts its diversity. Consciousness would thereby have to take this positing into a one upon itself again and keep it apart from the thing. It would therefore have to say that the thing, insofar as it is for itself, is not for others. Yet as consciousness has learned from experience, oneness also corresponds to the thing itself. The thing is essentially reflected into itself. Skipping down a few sentences. The thing, therefore, is in and for itself, self-equal, but this unity with itself is disturbed through other things. In that way, the unity of the thing is preserved and, at the same time, that otherness, which is external to the thing just as it is to consciousness, is preserved. See, just see, just 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 getting a little bit of this, you can already see how Hegel quickly becomes difficult. See, we just lost three people. They were like, "Fuck this shit! Get out of here, you cowards!" Not ready to read Hegel on a Saturday? Then you're you're clearly not fit to chill with the rest of us. I'm gonna keep reading. Oh, I lost another one. Cowards! Cowards! This determinateness which constitutes the essential character of the thing and which differentiates it from all others, is now determined in such a way that the thing thereby is in opposition to others, but is supposed to preserve itself for itself in that opposition. However, it is only a thing or a one existing for itself insofar as it does not stand in this relation to others, for instead in this relation, the connection to others is posited and the connection to others is the cessation of being for itself. Now, this probably doesn't really mean anything to you, but he had been building up to this moment for a long time. This idea that even... <sighs> To externalize these concepts, a concept like art, a thing that we often put forward into the world in our various conversations about it as being a thing that exists only for itself. Even the fact that it exists in this shared reality in such a way where we even come up with a word, a concept to describe it so we could talk about it with each other this supposes something in and of itself that art doesn't exist only for itself but for others that last that last phrase
The connection to others is the cessation of being for itself. Art is not simply for itself. I feel like this is this is where I'm going to try to get more accessible. <laughs> so I don't scare everyone away. I'm done reading Hegel, I promise. But this is, this. I mean, many things got me thinking here. Um, but this is an idea that I think a lot of people have very popular ideas about. Ideas that you know, our, our pop, there are popular attitudes to have about art and art making. This idea that I make art for myself. What do you guys think about this idea? Do you feel like you make art for yourself? What is the purpose of creating art? Are there multiple purposes? You can make art for yourself. You could make it for other people. What do you guys think? I know many of you are artists. How do you approach your art making in your daily life? What is the attitude that you do it for yourself? It's the waiting music. Girls, girls, every day. Suck my dick and call me gay. Girls, girls, every day. Jade says, this isn't an answer to the question. I'm sure those will roll in in a second, hopefully. Jade says, so if no one acknowledges or perceives a thing, does that thing not exist? Well, <laughs> don't get me started. Because that, I mean, that took about 15 pages <laughs> to go over in the Hegel reading. I mean, the answer is yes and no. <laughs> Simultaneously. Um, and this is part of what is so, this is probably the most profound point Hegel is making throughout the entire text. This idea that all knowledge and all being cognizant, trying to be cognizant of our surroundings, this process is in itself a negation of itself he let me try to be accessible for those who haven't read the Hegel reading we have a a commonly occurring theme in our conversations with other people of this trying to navigate some distinction between what is subjective and what is objective right and we have so many people who do things like put the natural sciences on a pedestal above all other knowledge right and Hegel describes in this text how, <laughs> well, I mean, he goes through phases of it. As you're reading, the phases change. What, the, the conclusions change the more you go with it, and then you eventually end up back at the same thing. But basically, the reason that an institution like the natural sciences or even just this idea of objective thought, the idea that a thing exists external to you, Jade, because you just asked if we don't acknowledge the thing, does it exist? The idea that it does exist external to you in a way that cannot be accessed, this idea, people put confidence behind this idea because... They are aware of the fact that everything we experience is subjective, right? Everything we come to know is ultimately at baseline through our perception. And we all know that perception is a process that is prone to so much error and fallacy. 
both on a conceptual level when we're trying to make sense of concepts and we can't, but also even at a fundamental level. I mean, we know that as perceptive beings, we experience things like optical trickery, auditory trickery. It's hard to put full faith in your perception of your surrounding world. And this is why we put confidence in institutions like science and also logical processes that aim to find what is objective about a thing or answer such a question like the one you just posed jade do things exist if i'm not acknowledging or perceiving them but this attitude is in and of itself erroneous because the very thing that makes us even embark on a trajectory towards a thing that ultimately culminates in something like an institution of natural science is the same exact mode through which we come to doubt ourselves and our own perceptions, right? Ultimately, even though we can come up with things, processes that make us feel more confident in our acquisition of knowledge that might be considered quote-unquote objective, the fact remains that even that path that we embark down is still emerging from this exact same reality. So, <laughs> the answer just becomes infinitely more complex too once you externalize these concepts through language, you know, through solidifying some sort of process to coming to know truths, you know. It's just, it's just fucking infinite. It's quantum physics, like I'm trying to say. I haven't made the map yet. I'm going to make the map. <laughs> okay, let's see. Let me read some other things. Ramona says, You make art for everybody but myself more. Jade, I think art is an external expression of your internal desires, creativity, and identity. Bella, I feel like that makes a lot of sense, especially given the nature of humans wanting to keep a collective with one another as survival mechanism. Ramona, above all else, I make the art that I want to exist. <laughs> Andrew, fuck, I'm so late. Yeah, you are. I'm not giving that, that Hegel recap again. <laughs> Bella, I feel like I do it for the catharsis. Most of the time, I destroy my work afterward. Oh, I can relate to that. But if you listen to our Suffering for Art upload, <laughs> I also believe that destroying art is in itself art. Hmm? Delilah, the answer is both yes and no. That's very quantum mechanics of you. Thank you, Delilah. I've been working on my superpositions. <laughs> Jade, this is so amazing. I'm glad you feel that way because I felt like I probably wasn't making any sense. I mean, reading that text to you, it might sound intimidating or something. This part was definitely a little more difficult than the parts that preceded it. But I would not lie to you. Hegel is actually very readable, at least this translation that we were working with. I'm not sure if that's more of a reflection on the translator or Hegel's general readability, but it sounds extreme. But if you stick with it from the beginning, it's very, very readable. And you still have plenty of time to read 20 pages before tomorrow evening if you want to join us. And like I said, I have an audio upload as well of me reading this. It takes under an hour and a half to listen to these sections in full. <laughs> Andrew is two minutes deep and is amazed. 
Good. Well, I, I kind of lost my trajectory, to be honest, but I'm going to um, give you some of my immediate ideas, though, of course, they're not immediate because nothing is immediate, right? As soon as I say now, now is gone. So I'm going to give you some of the ideas that have felt immediate in the past few hours since reading this phenomenology of spirit text, which, as you can see, I am so fucking hype on. So thinking about this idea that Hegel posits in the phenomenology of spirit, this idea that everything is defined ultimately by itself, but also the negation of itself, the fact that it is not other things, this has me thinking that I want to challenge myself specifically in how I speak about art. And in fact, I looked at some of the papers that I wrote in college when we did have to read Hegel. We read uh, History of Philosophy, which is not even a text by Hegel. It's a collection of transcriptions taken from seminars he did over like I think it was a few year period at different institutions. But I actually wrote a paper thinking that I was owning Hegel when I disagreed very much with these ideas he had about form versus content when it comes to art. And he had this whole comparison of philosophy and art and a discussion of the form versus the content. And he draws strong parallels between how the two function. And I thought, I thought that I was, I was really owning him in this paper where I basically disagreed with what he put forward which is that art and philosophy can be comparable uh, when it comes to a discussion of the form versus the content. Because I argued that art ultimately is defined by its materiality, whereas this is not true for philosophy. In the text that I read, which I would have to revisit from Philosophy of History, I'm sure he was making much more sense than I gave him credit for at the time when I was just a fucking art school bully that thought I knew everything. But the argument was essentially that the content of art is ultimately the art. It's not the form of the art. It is the content. The content is the form. And that offended me greatly because, as I'm sure some of you know, I'm someone who puts my ultimate criteria or establishes my criteria for how I determine whether or not I feel that a piece of art is valuable, ultimately in its materiality. This idea that, yes, art has content, right? But ultimately, art doesn't exist to be this content. Art exists to be art. And art is a human creation in many instances, visual, but also, you know, auditory. It exists in many incarnations. But in all of these incarnations, except for maybe like concept art in the 70s where dudes were like selling literally an idea in their head for like $7 million and didn't even tell the person what it was about. But let's not even go into that. We'll, we'll save that for advanced phenomenology. We'll do that one day. But the idea that all art ultimately is a material object. So if I make a painting of, I don't know, you. If I make a painting of you, it is true that my painting is a painting of you. My painting is a painting and it is also a painting of you. 
But if it wasn't a painting of you, it would still be a painting. And if it wasn't a painting of a dog, it would still be a painting. If it wasn't a painting of a banana, it would still be a painting. So what seems more fundamental to art is essentially its form, you know. This is the thing that if you remove from art, I would argue is no longer art. And while that may be true, I'm not sure because I haven't made the chart yet. (laughs) But while that may be true, I think that thinking about it from more of a Hegelian dialectical perspective has me feeling as if maybe my perspective on art and this separation that I make this this very distinct separation between art and its content a thing that I feel is ultimately very defined by its context maybe this distinction is in and of itself vain because even though I personally put much more stock in the form of art it is undeniable that there is no art that exists that does not also have content even the art that presents appears as if it is devoid of content it's it's not true even a Rothko Rothko is someone that I cite commonly on this channel for one he I like him a lot that's my dude okay I don't care if he got funded by the CIA okay so fuck you but he's also recognizable enough that you know who I'm talking about when I say Rothko um but anyway Rothko a reason that I've put forward many times for why I like Rothko so much and consider his art to be more profound than some of his peers is because I feel as if his art is less burdened by its content, by its context. I don't look at a Rothko and feel as if my mind is necessarily being shepherded in some direction the same way I feel when I look at a painting of a still life. Or some naked bitch with her titties out, you know? When the content is so recognizable and so suggestive, my mind is essentially shepherded in a direction. And I don't feel this when I look at Rothko. I feel more as if I am able to think about, be reflexive, and think about art itself. Think about how it works on potentially a physiological level, you know? Because I'm less burdened with this context. But I think that even this assessment might be in and of itself pretentious. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. Maybe I'm just a pretentious fucking asshole. I don't know shit. Why do I assume? I don't assume, but I do create a hierarchy of value in my own head that Rothko's paintings being less burdened by their context actually are I don't think that this is actually true I think that I can still justify why I like them more without coming to this vain conclusion that they are actually less burdened by having some content or context I think that the content and the context is actually just something else but it is the art The form and the content are married. You can have no form without content, right? Because what is form? What does form describe? The outer contours of something. The shape of a thing. But what makes up that thing? It's content.
bitch. The fuck? Let me read the chat. I feel like, in a way, I make it for myself because I'm not happy when I don't make art, but I also care about it being seen after it's made most of the time, more for myself. Hmm. Well, I mean, I think that similarly to how we are trying to open our minds to the possibility that things might not be as distinctly separate as they appear, I think that the same principle can be applied to a consideration of making art for yourself versus making art for other people. Because how do you even define making art for yourself, you know? <laughs> oh God. Like, to think about when these sentiments even emerge in conversation, right? They emerge often when we're having discussions about things like getting recognition for your art, you know, or being a career artist. A lot of people will put forward these sorts of ideas. Well, I make art for myself. But isn't this statement in and of itself also a negation of the other statement that contradicts it? These statements are ultimately kind of reactionary, right? You don't just go out into the world saying, I make art for myself. You only put such a statement into the world, I make art for myself, when confronted with some other idea that maybe art should be made for other people or art only exists to be seen by everyone. But this idea, I make art for myself, is not necessarily some standalone concept that arises from nothing. It's intrinsically linked. It's the negation of the statement that precedes it, that art isn't made for yourself. Art exists for other people, which I would say is true. But again, superposition, let's get into superposition. They're both true. <laughs> They're both true, bruh. Fuck! Andrew says, your art would be different based off what you thought you were going... Oh, wait, sorry. Do you think film is in itself pretty materialistic? What do you think about film in the discussion? Yeah, I absolutely think film is materialistic. Um, It is material. <laughs> Literally. I mean, it, that becomes less easy to conceptualize as time goes on because, you know, not long ago, we actually more commonly use film now. I don't think most movie theaters even use, even project on film. Uh, and, you know, many films are still shot on film, but, but more and more so we are phasing out film, literal film and emulsion on celluloid and... um. But even then, even digital technology, it's still physical, you know. Film absolutely has a materiality. But I think the fact that we also experience it in a way where it is not considered whole unless we have this auditory experience accompanying it, I think it makes it harder for people to uh, sort out their thoughts on this one. But if you want my answer, the short answer is yes. <laughs> Film is material, as is music, but music, music and film, audio and visuals, I do think, especially when it comes to art, present as very distinctly separate phenomena, but maybe not as separate as I presume. I'll, I'll get there, okay? 
I'm just very excited to continue reading this text. We're not going to continue reading it in the reading series because shameless promo. Like I've said before, every text we read, every time we meet is a different philosopher because we're just making our way through. Maybe we'll circle back, double back and do a whole book or something. But I feel like having a book club intimidates people. I would rather make you all feel like you get to come into my club and read a bunch of different philosophers and get to fucking carve them out like notches on your fucking belt. So far we've done Socrates, we've done Plato, Aristotle, Descartes, Spinoza, Leibniz, Kant, Hume, and now Hegel. And I believe next is Nietzsche. Anyway, I'm gonna get out of here. <laughs> it's 43 minutes. Uh, I feel like I should keep going, but I also shouldn't. I, I mainly wanted to entice you to come into my speed reading series, but I also don't want to say too much because I feel like these ideas are still cooking in my head and I have so many charts to make. I can't fucking wait. I'm going to figure out about this. I'm going to figure out what this art shit is about, guys. What it is. And as far as making art for yourself goes, even before I got my mind completely shattered by phenomenology of spirit by Hegel, I was already of the mindset that we don't make art for ourselves, but we also do. But ultimately, we make art the same reason we engage in most of these concepts and activities. Because we all do them. And to bring back this epic quote. <clears throat> the connection to others is the cessation of being for itself. It is true that all of these things exist with some presentation of about themselvesness, as all objects and concepts do. But that all of these concepts, a thing like art, ultimately only exists because there also exist things that are not art. <laughs> so, in some incarnation, yes, I do believe that we make art for itself. We make art to make art. This thing that in our phenomena of experiencing and trying to understand it exists only to be art. Which is why I come to such statements as good art is about itself. But it's also true that art exists among other things. It doesn't exist without these other things. It only exists as separate from these things. And this, this represents a cessation a being only for itself. <laughs> and, uh, and with that, I leave you. Please give me a thumbs up. When I ask for thumbs up, more thumbs up happens. Please, please, I'm begging, please. I need my mom to love me again. Delilah says, I love your charts. Time cube could never. Thank you so much, but I will also say time cube is the greatest. And I'll definitely have a time cube episode one day. But I actually wanted to do that after we do Wittgenstein in our speed reading series. Because part of why I love time cube so much is because I feel like it's ultimately. I won't say how I usually word it. Let me be correct for the internet. <laughs> it's ultimately Wittgenstein on drugs. <laughs> That's what I'll say. So, everybody, time cube is the greatest. Word God is a lie. 
<laughs> clock clock faces are all clock faces are wrong. Hopefully this has excited you to maybe come join us tomorrow at 9.30 p.m. EST. Follow the link in the Patreon. It's only $1. Or if you don't have a credit card or are broke as fuck, just send me a message. And I'll let you in anyway because all I care about is that you get this fucking philosophy in your fucking life. Pay it forward. Um, Yeah, and we meet at 9.30. And there's an audio upload. So if you don't have time to read, like I said, you can listen to all of it. Within an hour and a half. And I especially want you communists, you Marxists out there to come. Because Hegel is probably the biggest influence on Karl Marx's philosophy when Marx came up with his dialectical materialism. Very influenced by Hegel. Um, so come on, come on in. We, we can fight, we can yell. It's going to be great. I love you all. I hope you have a great Saturday evening. And keep making that art, alright? Alright, bye.